Today, I am elated to share Amanda Gold's story with you. True story, I was praying for someone to close out 2020 on the podcast. I'd been praying about it for a few days and read Amanda's post about being homeless on Christmas, and it resonated in my spirit. She's the one. And then I got massively nervous because I didn't really know her, and I felt really ill-equipped for a conversation with someone so beautiful and full of wisdom as Amanda. She's covered in tattoos and wears really cool headbands. She's lived a big life and really presents herself confidently. Of course, that sounds silly saying it out loud, but I was scared. It's just conversation human to human. So why do our minds play tricks on us? But in a moment of boldness, I asked, and then I literally freaked out for a day thinking I probably said something wrong in the invitation. Will she think I'm so dumb and why would she ever, you know, want to talk to me? Um, but she said yes, and I'm extremely honored. I feel like the luckiest girl, and I'm thrilled to share her story with you. I want you to jot down any questions you have, because I didn't have time to ask any more, and there's so much I want to know. So we'll get with Amanda again and let her fill in any details we need to know, all right? Enjoy the show. This is the Ash and Ivy Show. My name is Riley, and I am so really very excited you are here. I'm excited because this is a safe space for all kinds of humans to share their journeys, and I believe we should. We should share our journeys, our stories. They deserve to be heard, and we need to embrace them by listening and growing in compassion. I'm also over the top that you're here because I don't want you to miss a second of this friendship offered in the community. You're invited, you're needed, there's space for you here. So go on in over to Facebook groups and jump into the Ash and Ivy Friends group. Listen, life is meant to be lived in such a big way. It's meant to be celebrated. And sometimes that means digging into our ash and finding the ivy of our story. It's all so hard and beautiful and messy, but we're going to do it together. Hello, lovely friends. Last week was Christmas. I hope it was great. My heart felt such a mix of things. I knew several women who were just completely alone on Christmas, and my heart ached for them. And I knew families who didn't get together with their larger families. And I know we all are experiencing that and know people who are hurting or hurting ourselves. And all these changes and missed people can just fill the space with such tangible loss, you know? We really felt the loss of my grandpa this year and mourned his leaving the earth and just missed him. And at the same time, because joy and sadness intermingle this year, we really took the time to be really intentional and celebrate and anticipate. We decorated early, we savored the moments, we made treats for our neighbors. We even built homemade gingerbread houses. This was a long time goal that I finally and successfully achieved. So my oldest boy has celiac and he's always wanted a homemade gingerbread house so he could eat it as much as he creates it. And um, that was really fun. So we did things to serve people outside of our home, which of course always brings so much joy. We looked at lights. We chased Saturn connecting with Jupiter. Hope you got to see that. And we even got a COVID test. Yippee. I guess we got to fully experience this season, right? So listen, I don't know about you. Have you had to do this? But waiting on the COVID test result is like waiting on a pregnancy test. 
I got the email, but then I didn't know the password. So I literally guessed every single password I've ever had in my entire life. Then I had to verify the username. Still couldn't get it. So I had to update the password. But then I was mad. I don't know if you can relate, but what on earth could the password have been? So when you have to change the password, you don't get the satisfaction of knowing which one was forgotten. I know that's a dumb compulsion, but I just really want to know. Anyway, finally get the email open, but skip the tutorial because how hard can it be? Then I'm like super scanning that screen, just looking all over for the word negative, like top rate speed, nothing. Oh yeah, I'm on the wrong family member. Ah, good grief. So I wish they would just call me and just say it's negative, right? I despise the internet sometimes and all these passwords. Anyway, I'm finally on the right page and I finally see it not detected. Oh, geez. What does that even mean? I think on the home screen, when you open it, it should blast negative in capital letters with confetti. I mean, seriously, my kid was so worried he was at the end of his life, but not today, kid. So luckily he was negative and that worked out. But anyway, we really did have an exceptional Christmas and um, a lot has changed for our family in more ways than just COVID, you know, the people we celebrate with is a much smaller crowd. And, um, we just, we did change things to stay safe and, um, it's just easy. It's easy to get overwhelmed and sad with all the missing pieces, but we determined to have so much fun. We literally celebrated all day with a progressive day. We started with brunch at my brother's and his wife's who stuffed us silly with French toast. We could have not eaten anything else the rest of the day. Then we came to my house for hors d'oeuvres and an epic Nerf gun battle. And then the next part, you guys, oh, was so my favorite part. So one set of my grandparents decided not to participate this year as a precaution and But, you know, we're rebels and we insisted on stopping by to see them. So we we said we're coming and we stayed in the garage and we just created this most pop-up medley, like the most amazing medley of carols you've ever heard. And I would prove it to you, but my granny recorded it and apparently she kept tapping the record button because we have a lot of like one second videos. (laughs) We did get a 30 second clip of Oh Christmas Tree, so I'll post that, but Anyway, it was terribly wonderful. Each person started a carol, but we didn't plan ahead of time, and none of us actually knew the words. So there was like a lot of na-na-nas, you know? (laughs) And when it got really bad, we'd just interrupt that song with a different song. And so it was just, I'm I'm telling you, best idea ever, ever. Then we ended the day at my parents' for dinner, and we shared our testimonies from the year, which is always just a really tender moment of trusting each other and also just renewal. And so it was it was great. I know expectations are being missed in every direction these days. And it's like we have to just suck it up and be grown-ups over and over and over again and it's just I don't want to do it anymore, right? Sometimes it's just hard. It's hard not to let the disappointment win. Um, but I'm cheering for you and I want you to keep being present in the moment. Keep renewing your mind and filling your heart with Thanksgiving. A bonus would be just break out in a little dance and caroling. I promise it will help. All right, I've talked enough. Let's get right over to Amanda. She is just delicious. You're going to love her. I hope you enjoy it. 
Hi, Amanda. Hi, Riley. I'm so happy you're here. This is exciting. I'm super excited too. Thank you very much for having me. So we met this summer, kind of met, met mm -hmm. in the internet world um, <laughs> through a course called Made to Do This. And um, the course is to kind of help us move forward with business and dreams or dreams of businesses. It kind of gets blurred, but <laughs> the course dream is business. <laughs> dream business. That's right. Legacy work. And so it was super intense. Um, what did you, did you enjoy it? Oh my gosh. I loved it. I made so many amazing new friends and counting you among them. Yeah. Um, and it was just super inspirational to just see everyone, um, getting together and like, helping each other and really going for their big goal or the dream that had just been kind of incubating. And I've yeah. been listening to Kathy's podcast for years. So it was really cool to be in a course with her and everybody. That's awesome. Did you, it's been fun to see you grow and um, I would love for you to kind of tell us why you went into the course or did you pivot when you were in it or how has that kind of happened for you? Well, I really think that the course was kind of an answer to a prayer <laughs> slash an <laughs> anguished cry <laughs> because I had decided to start my life coaching practice and I was just winging it. Like I had no support. I didn't know anybody else doing it. I didn't know. I was just Googling like how to get clients. How do you start a life coaching practice? And there was this day I did the free five day challenge. Um, I think that one that led up to me to do this was called here for this or something like that. Yes. That's how I got into it too. Yeah. So it was just kind of all in on that. I was being very scrappy, like looking for free resources. Um, and there was this day where my head was just on my desk. I was in tears. I didn't know where to go next. I didn't know how to do this. And I decided to just go for a walk with my journal and like kind of calm down and try to get some guidance. And when I came back from that walk, I found out I had won a scholarship to made to do this. So that's actually how I ended up in there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. That's isn't that kind of wild? <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, well, your story, um, I mean, obviously you're doing phenomenal things. So are your life coaching now? Is that right? Oh yeah. Like, so to answer your question about the pivot and stuff, I really just, went all in on the life coaching and, um, it's been awesome. I'm serving nine fantastic women right now and still have room to grow. And it's just been really, really cool. And I'm so excited for the new year because the theme for the new year is just going to be, um, creation and innovation. So I have a lot of like courses I want to teach and things I want to offer current clients and coming clients. And it's going to be great. Wow. I want to jump in on that. That's, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're such a natural, like I said, I, I learned so much from you and I definitely, oh. um, I do. I genuinely gain a lot from your videos and just am in awe of how easy it looks. Oh, it looks easy. Yeah. <laughs> <That'd be cool. laughs> Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> do you get nervous when it's time to go live and Oh yeah. I get nervous and I get that, um, vulnerability hangover where you hit end record, like you do it and you're just kind of, sometimes it's just like an out of body experience. Like I'm here, I'm talking. And then I hit stop. And then I'm like, Oh, what was that? Like, it's just, was that just a big jumble of nonsense? Did that help anybody? You know? So I definitely have, I think I present very confident and, um, 
I definitely have a lot of fears and doubts that I work through <laughs> for sure. Well, good to know you're normal. I, yes. that's a, a <laughs> vulnerability hanger was the perfect description because it's <laughs> like, this is what I want to say. And then afterwards you're like, I'm the only one in the whole world who feels this way. And yeah. Hard. And you're someone I think who looks really like really confident and happy and excited and professional online as well. So it'd be cool to know if you experience any of the <laughs> yeah. fears out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots, lots of fears and sweating and yeah. oh my God. <laughs> I'm <sweating> too. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know. Good to know. Well, I do know. I mean, I have a feeling I've seen a few pieces of your story here and there. I mean, jumping on trains and mm-hmm. crazy, crazy things, homelessness. And I hope you'll tell us all about that. I have a feeling that adventure came with a lot of pain and, you know, a lot about pain. Um, yeah. So where do um, we begin? I don't, well, I will say like, I think, I think a lot of the adventuresome parts were, kind of a reaction to pain, right? So without going into too much of the nitty gritty details, I will just say that I came from an abusive kind of neglectful childhood, emotional abuse, physical abuse. Um, I like, I feel like the flavor of my childhood was just marked by a lot of fear and loneliness and really, really like a suit, such a powerful dislike for myself and just very uncomfortable in my own skin and in the world. Right. And so Somewhere around the age of 16, I got into drugs and alcohol and it was just like, they say off to the races. Like I'd found the thing that was going to fix me, quote unquote, and made it tolerable to be in the world because I was struggling also with untreated mental health stuff like depression and severe anxiety and suicidal thoughts. So drugs drugs and alcohol just kind of felt like the bandaid, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then a lot of that kind of wild and craziness just came from trying to find some place in the world that I belonged. Right. And so it was train hopping and hitchhiking and being in the punk rock scene. And, and there was a lot of good there, but it was all still marked by really hating myself and the addiction spiraling out of control and abusive relationships and just like not having any sense of stability in my life or, you know, being able to manage anything. And I, I think I tried college like seven times and in and out of housing and just like couldn't get it together. Right. So that was like 16 years of that kind of a shit show. But there was also, I think it set me up for what I'm doing now in a lot of ways, because that sense of just like jumping into things with both feet, cause I had nothing to lose. Um, I think, I think I'm able to take chances, you know, where a lot of people are really scared to, um, invest in themselves in their business or even start the business or leave a job. I feel like I've been kind of equipped (laughs) from my past to be willing to take those risks. So it it was like a double two-sided coin, right? And now I feel like my work is mining all that past for all the good and the gifts without being reckless or reactionary or running from things, right? Oh, that is so good. You used that phrase the other day, mining for the past. And I don't know if you know, but Ash and Ivy is all about rewriting your story and going back and finding the beauty in it. And so yeah. I love that phrase. So I, I and yeah. <laughs> awesome. I don't want to just highlight all the bad, but I do want to hear a little bit about, I mean, what do you mean when you say punk rock and what, what exactly were you doing? Were you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, 
I don't know. I was drawn to the punk rock scene because of the idealism, right? Like, so it was this kind of anarchist, like we're going to be a collective. We're very inclusive. We're anti-racist. We want to do urban gardens. We want to heal the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was very like edgy, I guess. Like it was, there was this rawness to it. And I know like so many of my fellows that were in that scene were hurting really bad. Like I was right. So there was a lot of rampant drug abuse and alcohol abuse and untreated trauma and a lot of people coming from the same backgrounds that I did right like I had a friend who was just dropped off the side of the road by her dad at the age of 13 and she had been fending for herself ever since so again speaking of the duality of things like there was this beauty to them and us right like we want we envisioned this better world and at the same time so many of us I won't say everyone but so many of us were really like suffering and just kind of these walking wounds and so it felt like a lot of our dreams just kind of didn't get a lot of traction and there was a lot of suicide and overdose and fighting and you know imperfect humans who are hurting trying to um, build a dream and also take care of themselves so it was just it's just a lot of that kind of stuff a lot of partying and but with good ideals right so again like what the good that i could take out of that was this vision for a better world where people are treated better. Yeah. And you try to, I mean, we know that as humans, we need community. And so you find those like-minded people. Mm -hmm. It's natural to be drawn to those people, but then if everyone's kind of hurting the same, then who's leading <laughs> the flock, you know? Right. Yeah. It was, it was like that. It was like, we were building our own family and in, and in some ways it was beautiful because you could just, you were accepted for who you were in a lot of ways, right? Like, we were all hurting. And so it was like, you'll be safe here. But then it was just, yeah. Like, how do you tend to this? And how, like you said, how, who's leading this thing <laughs> and among a bunch of independent radicals and artists and creatives who really didn't want any leaders. We wanted to build a community driven thing where everyone had an equal voice, but it's nuanced and it's tricky and it does help to be somewhat healed yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what good things or what have you carried with you that's the same? I mean, what kind of ideals from those have you been able to keep with you even through your healing, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's this fierce determination to insist on a more just and equitable world, right? So um, my time in that punk rock scene, and I still consider myself a punk in a lot of ways, right? I just find different outlets for that. I still like the music. I still like the art. I still like the community. Um, it's just a little less wild and I'm very much like in bed by 10 PM these days <laughs> and love it, <laughs> you know, but, um, so kind of my first entry into that was activism and my first cause was, uh, anti-racist work. And then it was like animal rights stuff, right? So I was vegan when I was in that scene and like learning about how animals are treated and um, just all kinds of stuff about what the government's up to and where we're spending our money and, you know, demilitarizing college campuses. So I was involved in a lot of things like that. And I would definitely say that one of the things that stuck with me was this really stubborn passion for a better world, right? And, and I would say that no matter how flawed any of these individuals were there was this passion and this commitment to something better and i think that has stuck with me for sure yeah 
Oh, oh, it's all so beautiful. I love it so much. So I hope you don't mind, but I need to hear more about the train hopping thing. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a scene from Divergent, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it was definitely a scene from a movie for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Oh, my gosh. Let's see. So I had just. So part of the scene, like within the punk rock community, there's lots of different kinds of punks, right? And anarchists and probably people who don't even like the term punk, but um, <laughs> you know, the, my favorite group were these train hoppers and they were dirty and grimy and they had these cool patches and they had dogs and they just carried everything in their backpack and they hopped freight trains all over the country. And that just called to me. I was just like, I, I must try that. And then there just became an opportunity where I was in my early 20s and I, I don't even think I was 21 yet. And I met a few of them and they were like, we're heading, we're heading west. I was in Minnesota when I met these people and they were like, we can teach you how to do this. Um, there was this little kind of underground book going around that would tell you like the best places to catch the trains and if the, you know, the bulls in the yard, the cops at the mm -hmm. train yard if they were friendly or really violent or whatever and so there was all these little tips and tricks and he had one of those books and he was like come on let's go and so my me and a friend and like three other guys we just went and i went from minnesota to well, I hopped my first train in minnesota from like southern minnesota up to minneapolis and then i fell off a bridge and hurt both my ankles and so i had to take a quick break to heal for about a month and then i met up with them in Montana and we crossed Montana into Seattle and then I hopped down uh, across California and then we hitchhiked into Nevada, I think. And then that's where the train stuff ended. I hitchhiked out of there back to Colorado. So it was kind of this little loop. Um, but yeah, it was wild, wild stuff. <laughs> Any other specific questions you might have, I'm happy to answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is nuts. And also just... <laughs> So inspiring. I honestly wish I could try it. It's amazing. And um, so what, where's the breakthrough in this? So are, do you live in Colorado now? Yes. Okay. So tell me like, at what point did this get old or did it get old or what, what happened to create a hunger for a new life? Um, I think and put a pin in the breakthrough thing. Cause I, I think that will be helpful. Um, I have something to say about that. If you remind me, um, okay. but as far as like it getting old, I think one thing that I realized was no matter how fun it was, there was still something in me that was just like so uncomfortable and thus so miserable, right? Like I still had so much anxiety. My drinking was getting worse. Um, and I realized like this, some people are doing this and pretty functional with it, right? Like, I don't want to paint this picture of the punk rock scene as like all dysfunctional alcoholics, right? Like there were a lot of them that were very productive and very healthy and doing a really amazing job with, with the stuff they were working on, right? Yeah. Eating collectives and doing cool shit. And for me, I was like just miserable and suffering. And I was, and I think there was a part of me that, although it took many years to even start to heal it, I think there was a part of me that knew like, you got to fix what's going on inside of you first. Like all this adventuring and traveling isn't going to fix it. So I decided I wanted to try to settle down. And I did do that in Minnesota. I went back to this town that I had kind of come from, started off the journey 
And I had a lot of friends that let me couch surf. And then I um, stayed in a women's shelter. And then I got two jobs and I got on public assistance and I got into an apartment and then I ended up um, picking up the rent on my own from working my butt off. And then I just sort of had a regular civilian life and I got into school and I got a car, but I was still an alcoholic and that was really just getting started. So um, it didn't take long for that to unravel again, but that was my attempt at, at trying to get something solid under myself to try to, cause I just knew something had to like change in me, right? Yeah. So, I mean, oh man, there's so much. <laughs> I guess, I guess I just am trying to picture and visualize it, visualize it. How old were you when you were couch surfing and staying in this shelter? Um, still early twenties, early to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And what were your passions at that time? Like what was your mindset of what you wanted your life to look like? Or did you know where you were headed? I mean, I really, well, okay. So at that time I started pursuing a tattoo apprenticeship. Um, I was really into art and I knew I wanted to do something with that. And I love tattoos and that whole culture. So I started getting into that. Um, I played guitar and just, you know, just trying to be better at that. I think I was always kind of curious about writing. Um, and when I did make it, you know, when I was in college here and there, it was like women's studies and social justice stuff and art classes. And I think initially I wanted to be like a photojournalist or in graphic design, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, my life just felt like I'd start to get something together and then it would fall apart. And it just kind of did that for many, many, many years. Yeah. So you were in the women's shelter and then you got the job and you got your own place, mm-hmm. but then how what method did you use to kind of propel you forward from the alcohol? I mean, it was, (laughs) did the alcohol have to like, did you have to address that in order to actually move towards where you wanted to be or I, I just didn't even, I don't think I even realized that the, I think on some level I knew the drinking was a problem and on another, the, the level I was operating out of really didn't know. I think there was a part of me, because I had been like a teenage runaway and in this kind of wild and crazy scene, I think I normalized my drinking for a really long time. And so I think I was still just trying to make it work and telling myself, well, I just like to party. Right. And I was surrounded by lots of friends who all drink the same way. And it didn't really start to come to my attention that my drinking wasn't just cute partying, you know, until like, I didn't get sober until I was 32. So it took a long time for that to sort of sink in. I see. So you were able to kind of get into a healthier position or a more stable lifestyle without addressing that then really kind. Yeah. I mean, I would use healthy and stable like very loosely. Cause like I said, every time, every time anything would start to kind of come together, it would inevitably fall apart. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, I mean, where was the low point in all of this? It was just like a series of low points, but because I had started feeling, I had started out my life feeling so terrible that again, it was just normalized. Right. Um, and then it just got worse and worse. It's like, if you've ever heard the analogy, when people look at your, someone's life, when it's really terrible and they're like, how did you let it get this bad? If you had taken a normal, healthy person and just dropped them into that terrible life, they would have immediately, all the alarms would have gone off and they would have done something to fix it. Right. But yeah, it's good. The analogy is like when 
I don't know if we're like French cooks in this analogy, but like boiling a frog. <laughs> if, you, if you were to drop a frog into a hot pan or boiling water, it would immediately jump out, right? Like, whoa. But the right. way they do that, or I don't know, they, they apparently like put it in cold water and then turn up the heat and it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, right? And so that's what my life was like. Um, so as far as a low point, I think what happened was around my early 30s, I was in the most violent relationship I'd ever been in. They'd all been kind of abusive, but this one was really scary and really bad and I, couldn't, I didn't see a way out. Um, I was like hurting myself because I was drinking around the clock and so I was blacking out more. I was suicidal again. Um, and it was just like, all of a sudden I realized like I'm 32 and this isn't cute and this isn't punk rock. This is just sad. And I have a problem. And so that was like the low, low point. And that's when I finally got help. And that's when I got sober. Wow. Well, but it's funny because all along that way, what 16 some years of drinking like this, I mean, my first real drink was a blackout. So like it was just rock bottom the whole way. And it's just so funny because any moment would have been a perfect moment to get help. Right. Right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have help and I didn't know how to get it. And yeah. I was about to say, I mean, you had no tools. No, it, it just, honestly, it shatters my heart and it makes me want to go out and just find all the girls. <laughs> uh, it makes me cry. I mean, Aww. do you feel like, <laughs> it does. It makes me emotional. Do you feel like, can you look back and mine for those gems and find where there was a certain person in your life or where are the gifts there that invited you to life or drew you out of pain, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I will say, so I've done a lot of work in sobriety with um, people experiencing homelessness and addiction in the recovery community and stuff like that. And a lot of people want to know, like, how can I help? And I will say, like, throughout my life, the people who kind of kept me going or helped the most were just like kind strangers that saw that I needed a hug or something like that. I have this one story where I used to play my guitar on the street in the, at the, on the outdoor mall for a change. And this one guy put a hundred dollar bill in my guitar case. And he even came by to double check that I saw that it was a hundred, right? He was like real proud of it. And he was like, did you see it's a hundred? I'm like, that's awesome. Thank you. You know? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, drugs, booze, a hotel room, it's gone. Right. Oh <laughs> but man. Yeah. But then one time I'm playing and this woman comes up to me and she looks me in the eyes. And when you're homeless, you don't get that a lot. Like your humanity starts to degrade because people just either don't look at you or they look at you like you're a piece of trash. And so this woman looks me in the eyes with love and she was like, you look like you could use a hug. Would you like a hug? <laughs> and I just lost it. Like I was crying and I was like, yes, like I don't know the last time I had been hugged and here's the stranger. And you know, someone like her, she was absolutely this island of, of hope when I needed it the most. And so I always tell people like, you don't have to go give hundred dollar bills, although if you have it, sure. But um, the, the things that really kept me afloat were those moments of kindness and tenderness. And that was, yeah, I think that if people knew that, I think a lot more people would feel empowered to help others who are suffering. I think one of the things I experience, we, um, I have a lot of interaction with, with the homeless at our church and you don't always see the benefit of what you're doing. You know, you can try yeah. to build 
relationships, but the healing, like what you're describing is going to take years and years and years, but it mattered to you and it imprinted in your life. You know, that one hug, it doesn't mean you went out right then and got better. Right. I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And that's something that's important for people to remember. Like you're planting seeds. If you think of it like that, you know, that one hug maybe kept me from killing myself that night. Right. Like that's how dark it was when that came along. And no, I didn't get sober until like five years later. And here I'm seven years sober and I'm still telling that story. And so, you know, you can't be attached to what your kindness is going to do for someone, but just trust that it might keep them afloat or, or plant that seed that's going to blossom later. Like maybe that woman hugging me even kept it in my heart that I was worthy to be saved. Right. Right. So yeah, that's, that's a good, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, you said to um, mention breakthrough. Did you say what you wanted to say about that? Oh yeah. So I think, I think something that came out of the train hopping thing is really relevant for anyone who wants to like chase their dreams or do something scary or do something unpopular, right? Which our dreams tend to be, they kind of scare the people around us. Right. (laughs) And um, I remember my dad just being so mad and terrified about the train hopping thing, right? He was just like, that's crazy. It's so irresponsible, blah, blah, blah. He's a dad, right? Of course. (laughs) And I did it anyways. And now we're very close these days. And even to this day, he says that he brags about me to his fellow, like he's in, a, he's in like the entrepreneur kind of CEO. He ran a business for many years, this upper tier kind of group of people. And he would brag about me in these rooms. And these people are sitting there saying, I wish I had had the courage to try something like that. I remember one executive said, I always wanted to try that and I never did because it wasn't responsible and I still kick myself for that. And so I think that's one of the things I got out of all that craziness was understanding like people who even like really care about you might try to talk you out of what you want to do. And, um, I think you should still go for it. Right. And then you don't, then those people end up coming around as like your biggest fans and end up being so inspired and proud of you and thinking, Oh, actually, I wish I had done that too. (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible well I wanted to ask so I'm glad you brought that up so tell me about your relationship with your parents and um was that were you able to find some healing there and forgiveness I will say forgiveness um so yeah the my mom and I don't really talk uh kind of recently I tried to my whole my whole thing these days is to like just keep the door open right like sure And I, I made my amends, you know, in my recovery, that's a part of it. And, um, we still just don't have a relationship and, but my dad and I are close and I have a brother that I'm close to. And the rest of it is just, I have found that I can make peace with every, everything and everyone, even without their being on board. Right. I I think I just did a video about this, about closure and how a lot of people feel like, they need the other person to apologize or tell them why things happened. And I know I drank over that for many years, like about my mom and why did this happen and why didn't you apologize and all this. And then you realize like, you don't even need any of that. And, and the way we know that's true is because if you've ever had an apology and didn't feel better, (laughs) or if you've been able to move on without anybody's, you know, permission, right? Like, so I just, I've forgiven everyone. I've forgiven myself. And it's kind of a process too. like, I also talk about this a lot 
that forgiveness isn't just like today I don't forgive you and then I do this thing and now I do, but I can forgive in stages. I can forgive over a period of years. It can be this process, right? As slow as it needs to be or as quickly as it, as it goes. Right. Because as one layer unfolds, you forgive that as one feeling is exposed, then you deal with it. But then on another day, when another memory comes or another feeling, then you, you have to kind of untangle that one. So you can only handle what's presented at the time, but that doesn't mean more are not going to also present themselves. Yeah. And some of it just comes with age. Like some of the forgiveness I was able to have for my mother was just aging and, and healing my own flawed pieces and just really being able to see her as a human, like who had kids at a really young age and was single with a five-year-old and a three-year-old, right? This is when my parents got divorced and just trying to work and raise two kids and deal with her own, you know, challenges, whatever those were. And realizing like, man, you know, where I was in my twenties, definitely not equipped to have children. And so there was just, you know, through age and through time, I was able to just have more compassion for her, which really lends itself to forgiveness. That's right. That's exactly the word I was thinking is compassion and just this recognition of kind of being more sisters and humans together. Right. We're just humans. Like when you let go of that whole thing about what a parent should have done or owes you, like that was my big hang up was she owed me safety. She owed me whatever, right? We should have this kind of relationship. And when you just understand, it's like, we're just two adult women now who had an experience. I don't know. That helped me a lot freeing myself from those kind of family roles and expectations. Mm -hmm. And then I think, are you in a relationship now? Oh, yes. We are very (laughs) much in love. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I'm sure, I mean, like, I know in my relationship, I'm always kind of the same thing with um, handling the layers as they come, even in a relationship, we're kind of sometimes battling things from the past and having to work through it as it comes, you know, out. And so do you find that you're having to practice some of those healing things as you pursue a current relationship? Oh yes. Yes. I think that like a good relationship is just the most fertile ground for growth and transformation, which means like lots of tears and not, not tears in the sense of like, we're fighting all the time. We don't fight hardly ever, but it has been such a huge area of growth for me, um, to let love in and to be part of a healthy relationship that it's actually been painful at times. And in fact, yesterday, something happened where this huge old belief kind of surfaced And he just like hugged me and loved me. It was hours that I was crying over this thing, but it triggered this old belief about how I ruin everything. That was kind of my, I ruin everything. And like my brain was believing it and I had to let that come up and and heal it. Right. And he was there for that. And I think a really good relationship lets all, all your guards come down. Right. And your heart is growing and you're soft and you're open and, um, And then let alone all the like risk of letting yourself love someone. And then you also know that at any time it could be taken away, you know, and how do you reconcile with that? So it's been, it's been wild and, and just the the coolest thing too. When you're in with someone who really cares about you and you feel safe with them, then the growth is just phenomenal. I agree with that completely. And I find too, that the more that I'm just honest opposed to kind of, um, you know, building this case against 
him in my mind or creating this angst or whatever. Mm. It just creates assumptions and, and negative energy and tension and things like that. But when you just spill it, like I run everything, that's what I'm actually believing right now. I might be mad at you for blah, 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 but actually I'm really just upset with myself and you can recognize those feelings or those lies that are, you know, if you can catch the thought like, Oh, that's actually what I'm thinking. Then you can pursue it and you can talk about it and you can give your person, your partner an opportunity to hug you and be present and support you and show that you're safe, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I mean, it's awesome that you were able to have that moment. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's so much of the coaching work that I do is we're, we're kind of trained to believe all of our thoughts and we think of them like facts, right? And very little of what we're thinking is a fact, like, you know, every single person would agree in a court of law that this is fact. Most of it is just thoughts we're having. And so, so much of it is just creating awareness and then see how they're making you feel and what that's creating in your life and see if you want to shift that around. Yeah. That's good. Well, um, so you've kind of moved into this new place of coaching others. And um, I guess I'm curious what methods you used. Are you, you said journaling went at one time. Did you use writing for healing, counseling, a combination of things? Yeah. So let's see. I got sober in a 12-step program, and then I got therapy right away, and I Cause I just knew like all this stuff was going to come up now that I'm not drinking and I had to get some help. With that. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> seven years later, we're good. Um, I just said, you know, thank you and let that go for now, but I still have a lot of, I still have my own coach and um, you know, a spirit spirituality that worked for me was a huge part of it because a big part of my initial wounding was um, toxic religion, I guess you would say. Yeah. And so it kind of like drove me away from God and then like healing that and realizing, oh, it wasn't God. It was just this human version of religion. And I can kind of chuck that and start fresh. So that was a big part of it. Um, Exploring my spirituality and all the things that sing to me and and are true for me. That's been really cool. Um, Yeah. Journaling. Oh, art. Um, Using art like as a therapeutic practice has been really cool. And I and I teach art classes today you know, from that lens. Um, and then just, yeah, self-coaching, mindfulness, looking at just awareness of thought, right? Like what is going on between my ears and what is that creating? Um, that's kind of the basics I would say. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It's dynamic and awesome. So tell me more about your art. What, What kind of art do you teach? Um, so Right now I teach, so less method and more process, right? So how can you use art and the creative process to tap into your intuitive self and to process negative emotion and to just work through stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been like that. It's like, what is happening when we are allowing ourselves to be creative and make art versus how do I make this perfect picture? So that's been really cool. Um, it's primarily the last two classes I taught were people in recovery as well. So it's like, how can this be an aid to your own recovery? Um, Cause that's where mine started. When I first got sober, I just threw myself into my art making practice and healed a lot of stuff from, from doing that and built confidence in myself and 
it, it was so cool on so many levels. So just trying to teach that, like our creativity is inherent. Um, I believe we need it. Like if we're not letting ourselves be creative in some way, I think it kind of turns in on us and can be lead to kind of dysfunction or physical ailments or mental health troubles, anxiety, all kinds of things, which can likewise be healed from being more creative and letting that stuff kind of flow. Yeah, I truly believe that we were created to create. And so, yes, that's perfect. Well, I'd love to touch a little bit more on the toxic religion part and just through my own process of kind of, kind of realizing how beautiful God is in each person and that he's not, you know, he doesn't look the same in everyone. And so we don't need to modify our lives and adjust into such a small, narrow place in order to look sweet or good or beautiful like this other person who loves God, um, but recognizing the unique beauty in ourselves or in, and in others too, in order to see them kind of, do you mind sharing a little bit more about your journey on that? Yeah. Um, and I love what you just said too. Like, yeah, I think the, the heart of it for me lately has been just realizing that the thing that went sideways for me with religion was, or I think where people go wrong is trying to take this mystery, this unknowable mystery and try to squeeze it into a box that's like human shaped. Right. So right. The God that was kind of forced down my throat was angry, petty, judgmental fear. You know, it was just, there was fear and hellfire and, um, all these nasty things. And it just kind of, that God just sort of looked like the people that created that. Right. If that right. Makes sense. Just unapproachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, there has to be this go between and you're not good enough. And there's always this tallying of your sins and separate, you know, I don't know. It just, it didn't work. And what really didn't work was that as a teenager, I think I've always been a really sensitive kid and kind of in tune with this higher, something bigger, right. Source energy or whatever. And then as a teenager, I had a legitimate spiritual experience and I was on fire for the gospels. And I, I understood like, in reading the Bible, this radical love that was Jesus's ministry, right? Like loving everybody. And, and I just had this taste of like how, how truly radical this was. Right. And then when I was out there in the punk rock community and I saw their radical love, but they were all burned by religion too. So they were like, no God, you know, and I always had this longing to sort of join the two worlds, right? Like, can we reclaim this message what is radical love, right? It's awesome. It's inclusive. It's healing. It's beautiful. And it's much bigger than we can try to explain. Right. And as soon as a God for me fits in a box, then it's not God anymore. Like God has to be big enough to handle this wild, unpredictable world that includes suffering and pain. And if you have this small God that also kind of is mad at you all the time, then it's not going to be very useful or comforting. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, just reconnecting to that has been super amazing and letting it be a relationship that grows all the time has been really cool. (sighs) Yes. (laughs) That's, that's just absolutely incredible. It's oh, so good. It's so good. I, and don't you wish like everyone could experience that? I mean, they can, but I wish my goal is just to invite others into that 
feeling of you get to be you and you get to relax and you get to just enjoy the, the earth and, you know, creativity. And that's what God wants from us. Yeah. And, you know, I used to be really angry at these kind of people because I felt really hurt by them for many years. And now I feel like this compassion again, where it's like, oh man, you have, you just, you're not seeing the full picture at all. And you're living this very pinched off, miserable life. And, um, it's not a judgment. It's just like, oh, I know where your anger and your small mindedness and your hatred is coming from, right? That's how you're experiencing God too. And it must be very scary and lonely and painful there. And if you lean into this more open, expansive view of God, um, it just feels better. And I feel like that's, that's kind of the clue that for me, it's the right path is like, we're not here to suffer. <laughs> There's enough of that already, right? Like we're here to heal. We're here to heal suffering and be like light for people who are in suffering. And I just couldn't do that in a small, tiny, angry, hateful religion. Yeah. I'm with you. That's so good. I love all of that. Well, Amanda, I just, um, thank you so much. And I guess I would love to hear, um, as we close, of course, if there's anything else you want to share, I am here to hear every single detail. Um, but also want to hear just a little bit about the live videos you've been doing about kind of ending your year and like what you were saying, kind of forgiving those, um, open things that where you don't actually need the other person and how do we kind of close out this year strong? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did this five day challenge because I was really irritated and just kind of bummed out for people that there was this message of 2020 years trash. Like we're so, I can't wait till this year's over. Right. Yes. I've, and I'm tired I, of that. Yeah. I was telling my partner, I'm like, that is 365 days of your life that you want to flush down the toilet because life happened. Like, because and I don't want to downplay that it was very hard for, for folks. Right. Um, I don't think my life was impacted by it as much. I'm already a really solitary person. My business, I was able to start it and it was thriving during this time. I didn't lose anyone from the disease. I didn't struggle, you know, with losing housing or, you know, I was lucky to have toilet paper the whole time. Somehow I missed that. That was the thing was to start hoarding it, but I had just bought some. So I was good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to acknowledge like, and especially with the black lives matter stuff, like, um, it was a really tough year for a lot of people and it still feels like a terrible waste to just throw it in the trash. Right. So, um, my whole thing was just like, how do we close this year with some sense of peace and with finding some kind of good in it? And I'm careful here because I, I really want to watch out for like, you know, whitewashing anything or just like glazing over other people's suffering or um, being Pollyanna or spiritual bypassing. But I don't think that trying to find the lesson or trying to find the good while acknowledging suffering, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And in fact, if we did more of that, we might have a better time of stuff. So just wanted to like offer something about closing the year, um, you know, closing down resentments, closing down those loose ends of people who wronged us or who we were still angry with, um, forgiving ourselves in that too. Like if there's stuff over the year, if you didn't reach a goal, if you didn't finish a project, if a relationship ended, like how can we bring kindness and forgiveness to ourselves? And, and I think that does honor the struggle too, when we take that time to say, okay, I'm determined not to let this whole year be garbage. Um, how do we care for ourselves in the times that were really challenging? Right. And then 
and then kind of close that down energetically or with intention to prepare ourselves for the next year. And I think we talk a lot about intentions and New Year's resolutions, but we don't do enough of this work about like, again, mining the past year for the gems or the gold in it, right? And I think it's more imperative when there is a lot of suffering or else all that suffering is just for nothing, right? So it is a belief that I choose, but I think it serves me. And I hope that sharing that perspective can serve others as well. Yeah, that is exactly, I, I do appreciate that you, you know, show compassion for the people who did suffer and absolutely we care about that. Um, but having this perspective of thankfulness and being able to look back and see, well, this happened, but I was covered in this way or this beautiful thing happened or just thankfulness. And, um, but also intentionality of taking care of the hurts and taking care of the, you know, areas of need. And Mm -hmm. so that's so good. I've, I've enjoyed your five day challenge very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) So, all right. Well, is there anything else that you want to tell us? Um, no, <laughs> I just feel really grateful to be here and um, to be part of a community of people that are just like, like my whole thing with coaching is I call it kicking ass with both feet. Um, so I would just say like, follow your joy. Like it is, I try to tell people like being selfish is actually the best thing you can do for the world because when you're selfish in a way where you're resourcing yourself and filling your own cup, you just have so much more to give. And in fact, you have to try um, much less harder. Um, like if you're, if you're taking care of yourself and you're following your joy and then you just go to Walgreens to buy something, you're bubbly and you're, you're smiling at your fellow people, even with just your eyes over the mask. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and you're friendly with the cashier. And like, that is the kind of love that we can spread without even like, building a business that helps people or trying really hard, like it have, or having lots of money. Like you can just, if you, we tend to downplay the importance of following our joy and taking care of ourselves. And in fact, I think that's the best way to give back to the world. And that's what people needs is people who have come alive. So that's my parting words. Go be alive. Yes. Go be alive. (laughs) Well, I have no doubt in my mind that anyone who listens to this will absolutely step into the light. Um, Thank you for all that you shared. Uh, I have one last question for you. um, And then I want you to tell us where we can find you. But so you have lots of tattoos, right? A couple. (laughs) A couple. Yeah. Can you tell us about one of your favorites? Yes. So it's one of the more recent ones. it's a, um, like a old, old timey pinup girl boxer tattoo. Like when, when tattoos first started, they had this real classic look to them, right? Like bold black outlines and a limited color palette. Sailor Jerry was a big tattoo artist that did like this work. So it's a classic tattoo like that. And it's a boxer girl and she's just got her dukes up with boxing gloves on and a black eye. And um, it's just about resilience, right? Like I get knocked down and I'm gonna keep getting up. And so I love that one because that's just like so many things could have could have been the reason to pull the plug and to just give up on my life, on myself, on my dreams. And I just kept going and I hope to instill that uh, that attitude and that hope and that resilience in others. So that's my favorite one. Reminds me of my mission these days. That's awesome. I'm smiling so big. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, Amanda, where can we find you? 
Oh my God. This is where I'm just like a terrible business owner. I'm like, I'm on Facebook, but I don't think it's under my name. Oh, if you Google kick ass with both feet, <laughs> I think you can find my Facebook from there. Um, I think my Facebook handle is like stay gold tattoo or Amanda gold tattoo. So I'm sorry, but kick ass with both feet and Amanda gold on Facebook. That's the main platform that I hang out and I don't have a website. Um, you can also email me at kickasswithbothfeet at gmail.com. Man, isn't she incredible? I mean, I don't know how she missed the book or the movie Divergent, but I told her she has to go check it out because she is definitely dauntless. Would you agree? Wow, this was packed with gold, but I really, really want to dissect for a quick second the taking care of yourself part. We laughed on Christmas because my Nana said, charity starts at home, and she gave us permission to care for our families. It was funny in that moment, but isn't it so true? In order to give and make the impact we all crave in the world, we have to seek our own healing. Restoring relationships with others can't happen if we don't have anything to offer. If you have a broken relationship, I challenge you to look inside and get to know your own heart and mind. Where are the lies and what is the truth? I know this year coming up, I have major goals of some restoration, and I know it starts with me not going in with accusation, but going and owning my own faults and offering compassion. Like Amanda says, which is so consistent, so beautifully consistent with our mission at Ashton Ivy. Let's mine this year for the gold. Don't let any suffering be for nothing. Let it serve others, right? Anything meant for evil will be used for good. All for good, loves. Wow. Listen, I want you to come join us in a Facebook group called Ashton Ivy Friends. We're going to be bringing our year to a close this week with some really great conversations. And there is space for you. We need you there. As always, let's move forward in love together. I'm cheering for you.